There are two little stories that I wanted to tell uh, related to the gospel reading that I could not shoehorn into the sermon itself. So we're going to call this the prologue. Uh, uh, when William and I were in Rome in 2009, uh, we actually stumbled upon a street called the Beheading of John the Baptist Street, <laughs> which I can't remember what it is in Italian, but the, the word, somehow the word decolletage was there, because it, or decollate, decollate rather, the decollation of John the Baptist Street, which I would not want to live on, by the way. Um, but being kind of naughty, naughty, too naughty kids, we, uh, we went and stood under the sign and we had some sort of program with us and we, we kind of did this under the sign and took some photos of each other, which is not a nice thing to do uh, and not a nice thing to probably talk about in church. But I thought you'd want to know that story because, you know, there are streets like that and they take these things seriously over there, uh, unlike the tourists. And then the second story is... Um, when we were in Rome, maybe that same trip, we, uh, we went to the Basilica of San Silvestro in Capite, in Rome, and there they had the head of John the Baptist. And so we thought, oh wow, this little church here has the head of John the Baptist. Because, you know, they have relics throughout Europe of all kinds of fingers and bones and such. And so there we are. A few years later, we went to France, and uh, we took a side trip to Amiens to see their cathedral. Well, there in the cathedral, they said, we have the head of John the Baptist. <laughs> and so I said, wasn't this in Rome to William? And he looked at me and he said, it's a miracle. <laughs> That's the difference between me and William. But um, apparently there are two claims to the uh, ownership or the, the, having the head of John the Baptist. So if you're ever in Amiens or in Rome, you can visit that relic. Okay. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I have a little advice for those of you who may one day find yourselves so overcome with pleasure over a performance, as Herod did with Salome's dance, that you forget yourself and publicly promise the performer anything they ask for. My advice is, don't make that promise. Don't. Just don't make such promises. It never works out well. In the case of Herod Antipas, who we heard about today, who is not to be confused with Herod the Great, his father, who ordered the slaughter of the holy innocents when Jesus was a baby, some blamed the downfall of Herod Antipas and his eventual exile on the karma received for beheading John the Baptist. Biblical commentaries have all kinds of background info on this incident, but I have distilled the story to its essence for you today. Herod Antipas basically left his wife to marry Herodias, his sister-in-law, while she was still married to his brother Philip. That's kind of a no-no. So John the Baptist publicly calls him on it and shames him. This really upsets Herodias, and she wants him dead for speaking out. But Herod fears and respects the prophet and only puts him in prison. In the meantime, Herod, ostensibly a Jew, but he really only follows religious practices when they're the fun ones, he throws himself a birthday party. Breaking all kinds of Jewish cultural laws, he gets trashed and allows his 13-year-old niece, Salome, to dance for them. That's kind of a no-no too. 
because banquets in those days were segregated into male and female sections. So it was really improper for him to have a female come to the male end of the banquet hall. Not to mention disgraceful to have her be one of his own family members. But she does. She comes. He asks her. And she dances. And he gets so worked up. And let me be blunt. This is lust. All his men are cheering her on. And she's not exactly dancing the Macarena. He, he gets so worked up that he promises to give her anything she wants, even up to half his kingdom. So Salome, flushed with all this attention and probably not really understanding what was going on, consults her mother Herodias, who sees her chance. Ask for the head of John the Baptist. Now, in any normal family, that might seem like an odd request. Salome might have countered with, how about a pony instead? But this family's a little more dysfunctional than most, so she returns to the male end of the banquet hall and tells her uncle slash stepfather, I would like the head of John the Baptist, please, on a platter, because this was a banquet. That sobers Herod up right quick, but guess what? When you vow an oath in front of your guests and followers, you cannot back out of it. You are honor-bound to carry it out no matter what, because not doing so would make others question your veracity in the future, and they would no longer trust you. And so the deed is done. John the Baptist is beheaded. His disciples hear about it, and risking their own necks, they come to ask for the body. And they take John and bury him in a tomb. And if there's one lesson history gives us over and over again, it's that this is the way of the world. Sleazy gatherings of drunken, lust-filled, prideful louts, or some variation of that, destroy profits and goodness and get away with it because they have power. Joan of Arc was burned at the stake in Rouen. Oscar Romero was assassinated at the altar in El Salvador. Stephen Biko was killed while in police custody in South Africa. Martin Luther King Jr. was shot at a motel by a racist in Memphis. I have been listening to a true crime podcast on my commute. It's about a black man in Mississippi who has been tried for the same murder six times, convicted by mostly an all-white jury, but then had each conviction overturned by a higher court because of the obvious lies and misconduct on the part of local officials, including the DA, who have ensnared him as their suspect and keep retrying him each time despite the evidence. Nothing's been done to stop this madness, and he's now been falsely imprisoned for 22 years. When I listen to this podcast, I find myself speeding up Highway 280 because I'm so angry that my foot presses down on the gas pedal. Injustice lives on today. Still, despite knowing how the world works and that we should know better about history, it is shocking that such a fierce visionary as John the Baptist should be killed because of a game at a party. In the womb of his mother Elizabeth, John leapt for joy at the presence of Jesus in the belly of Mary. He grew up, he went into the wilderness, feral, wearing a coat of camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, 
John preached an uncompromising call to repentance while insisting that he was not the Messiah. And when religious leaders came to see him at the Jordan River out of curiosity, he shouted, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He baptized hundreds of people desperately longing to hear good news for their lives. John the Baptist was larger than life. So hearing today's gospel shocks us anew with that historical reminder that even the most vital and vitalizing among us can be cut down at the whim of the wicked. In the words of a Bob Dylan song, Hurricane, about another falsely imprisoned black man, how can the life of such a man be in the palm of some fool's hand? The life of John the Baptist heralded the coming of Jesus. He paved the way, prepared you the way of the Lord for the ministry of Jesus to reach the masses and proclaim his imminent arrival. The death of John the Baptist also prefigured that of Jesus in certain key ways. Like Herod Antipas with John, Pontius Pilate listens to Jesus, looks favorably upon him, and is reluctant to order his death. Ultimately, their attempts to spare their respective prophets are unsuccessful as both Herod and Pilate succumb to social pressure and allow the executions. Finally, both John and Jesus have followers who retrieve their body for burial. Though sadly, the disciples of Jesus were too afraid to do so themselves, and so he's placed in the tomb by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. All these parallels in their death stories, John and Jesus, are echoes of the world's injustice inflicted on the innocent and the good. Even Herod Antipas believes that Jesus is himself the return of John the Baptist. Whenever we confront the world with a message it does not want to hear, we will be in danger. That is one of the hard lessons of the New Testament that it has to teach us. And it won't always do us good to cover up such harsh truths with bows and ribbons of love and peace and hope. Because insisting on love and peace and hope actually means challenging the hate and war and despair the world more happily feeds on at its sleazy banquet. The world won't listen. But every once in a while, you will find like-minded pockets of good people when you speak your truth. I guess what I'm trying to say is what we often try to say about our faith, but rarely follow up on. To truly follow Jesus is to suffer. Because such a path means leaving behind the comforts of fitting in. Because to follow Jesus is to stand out in a world of selfishness. We will have to leave behind the comforts of keeping quiet. Because the love of God demands we speak out against injustices. We will have to leave behind the comforts of letting someone else do it and just enjoying our life. Because being Christian means being Jesus in the world. And being Jesus in the world means insisting on love, peace, and hope amidst the chaos. And I'm afraid that means that you don't have the option of turning a blind eye when you see those things in the world. So 
I think of the life of John the Baptist as bookended. He leaps for joy in the womb of his mother Elizabeth when the baby Jesus in his womb and Mary shows up. He dances in the womb. His life, John's life, is ended by a dance as well, Salome's dance. That first dance is a dance of joy and hope. That last dance is a dance of fear and hatred. And the question for us is, which dance partner will you choose? Will you choose to live a life of fear and hatred or selfishness? Or will you choose that harder dance of joy and hope? Because it's hard. It's hard to dance that dance. And you're not going to find a lot of partners who will do that with you. But here we are in this church, and I believe this is a place of joy and hope and love. And I long for the day that our dance will find other partners to join us. So let us have that hope. Let us turn on that music. And let us dance. Amen.